So last week we started looking at Philippians 4, 4 through 9, if you want to go there in your Bible. And we, and we talked about peace. And we talked about the, the, the fact that we all have stress, right? And sometimes the way we respond to stress is with anxi- <clears throat> excuse me, anxiety. But down deep, really what we all, all want is peace. And the Bible tells us here in, in verse 7 in Philippians chapter 4, that God will give us a peace that passes all understanding. And some of you know what that's talking about. Might not be able to explain it. I don't know how to explain it, but you've experienced it. I've seen some of you experience it as I've walked through things with you as a pastor. I mean, I've seen people have incredible peace in situations where it didn't make any any sense to have that kind of peace. I've experienced it at times. I mean, there's been times where it's been like we've been going through something, and I'm like, I'm okay. doesn't make any sense that I'm okay, but I'm okay. It's like, that's God. There's been other times where it's been a struggle, but, you know, sometimes you have to fight for peace. You realize that? It's just not like going to automatically happen. Sometimes we have to fight for peace, and sometimes work through things and sought the Lord God has given this peace that passes all understanding. I mean, uh, last year, about a year and a half, a little over that, and I was almost two years ago when Robin uh, got diagnosed with cancer. I mean, we joke around here sometimes about, my, about me not being very emotional. I was a mess then. But God is gracious, and as I sought him, he brought peace. Now, one thing that I want to say and uh, I feel like I want to clarify this from last one. I want to make sure there's not any confusion. Is I'm not saying that like peace is something that we earn or that God doles it out to us when we're good little boys and girls or something like that. Scripture actually teaches us, Jesus said, that in me you have peace. If we're in Christ, his peace is our possession. The Bible says that The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. If Christ is in us and we're in Him, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we possess the peace of God. But the reality is we can, through our thought patterns, through our disobedience, through the way we handle things, the way we respond to things, through a variety of things, We can forfeit that peace. We can fail to experience or appropriate that peace that we have. And so really what we started talking about last week was in Philippians 4, 4 through 9, there's five commands. And they're things that God is telling us to do. They're things to be obeyed if we're a Christian. But I talked about, because of what verse 7 says and what verse 9 says, it seems like to me that kind of the overarching theme here, the thing that that ties it together, is that these are kind of, in a sense, keys to experiencing peace. In other words, as we obey these commands of the Lord, they can lead to us appropriating or experiencing this peace that we possess in Christ. And so... Last week, we got through about two and a half of these, so what I want to do is just review quickly, kind of finish uh, the one that we started last week, and then mainly we're going to focus on today is our thinking. Because if we're going to live in peace, just like with everything else, the battle is fought in our minds. And if you want to overcome anxiety in your life, at least anxiety that's not medically caused in some way, you know, hormonal, physiological, organic. Uh, I mean, if if that's the root, then you need to see a doctor. But if the root is spiritual and the root is, uh, you know, mental, emotional, those kind of things, the key is changing our thinking. So let's kind of review real quick. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. So we talked about last week that the key to experiencing peace, a command to be obeyed here, is 
to, we can experience the peace of God when we choose to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5 says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So we talked about that we can experience peace as we uh, treat other people with, with gentleness. In other words, relationally, if we pour water on fires instead of gasoline on fires, if, if we respond to things, don't create problems, or if, if we respond to things well, then this will contribute to peace in our lives. And then the, where we were at the end last week that we got part of the way through, where we just kind of pick up, is in verse 6. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the word guard here, uh, in, in the original, the, the word picture is of a, uh, someone on sentry duty standing guard over something. So he's basically saying that a peace of God can be like a soldier guarding our hearts. But the, the command here is we're going to experience the peace of God as we pray biblically. But then, you know, what I, what I said was, I think the thing we need to be careful with here, or else we may be confused, we may be disappointed, that doesn't mean like one time we play, pray, hey God, give me peace, hey God, take all my anxiety away, and then we're just automatically never going to have anxiety uh, again in our lives. There's some things that go in to this prayer. And so we looked at a couple last week. So the first is we're to repent of being anxious because, again, he says there at the beginning of verse 6, be anxious for nothing. And, and it literally means, literally could be translated, stop being anxious. And so uh, what, what I said last week was that if we're going to overcome anxiety, we need to call it what it is. Hundreds of times, Scripture tells us to not worry, to not be fearful, to not be anxious. Now, again, uh, just let me be clear. These are commands for Christians. If you're not a Christian, we're not expecting you to live like a Christian. You can't obey these on your own. You need Jesus. That's the starting place. So let's be clear uh, about that. But uh, if, if, we're, if we're saved, when we live in anxiety, fear, worry... If God commands us not to and we do it, isn't that sin? And again, I'm not trying to say that, I mean, you know, it's human to be anxious. I'm not saying I never uh, have anxiety. But I am saying that when I do, I'm honest enough to call it what it is and ask God to forgive me for it. And, uh, you know, something that, I mean, this encouraged me. There's, there's a lady who's been coming to True Life for a few weeks. I've only ever just met her once in passing, but she came to me after the first service and said, you know, I've been a Christian for like 45 years. I never realized that before. And so this, I've been going through a tough time. Uh, this week, I started repenting of, my, of the sin of anxiety, started calling it that when it's come up, and it's changed my life. And I believe the same thing can happen for you. So we're to repent of being anxious. Second, we talked about that the conviction that underlies it is that we live in the presence uh, of God. Now, let's pick up where we left off and, like I said, finish this one and talk about our thinking. So we also see here in regard to this command of praying biblically that prayer is to include worship. Why do I say that? Well, there's different Greek words that are translated prayer in the New Testament, and the particular one that is used here literally means worship. Also, uh, when you look at verse 4, again, he tells us twice to rejoice. So part of overcoming our anxiety through prayer is that our prayer is worship. It, again, there's more to prayer than just asking. Now, what could this look like uh, practically? Well, think about Paul. <clears throat> and so we've talked about how Paul was writing this from jail. But remember that if you go back to Acts chapter 16, the church here at Philippi was actually founded out of Paul being in jail. Remember Acts chapter 16? They're on this missionary journey, him and Silas. They go to Philippi. They encounter some uh, women praying and uh, preach the gospel. Lydia and her household, they get saved and baptized. And then there's a demon-possessed slave girl that's just like walking around, dogging them. Paul cast out the demon, 
and presumably this young lady gets saved. But then out of that, some people get ticked off, and so they're unjustly arrested. They're thrown in jail. The Bible says that they're stripped and beaten with rods. They're in jail. They don't deserve to be there. If it's me, I'm whining, crying about it probably. But the Bible says that at midnight, they were praying and they were singing. They were worshiping in the middle of their trial. And and Craig Rochelle says of this uh, in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, which I would highly recommend. He says two things. You may want to write this down. This this isn't in your your notes. The notes are in the app, and there's some quotes that you may want to have from this that you may want to reference, but this this isn't there. So if you take notes, you might want to write this down. He says, first, they were praising God for the who, not the what. They were praising God for the who, not the what. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for them to say, uh, you know, to, to, to be praising that they just got beaten, that they were mistreated, that they were unjustly arrested. I mean, these people really had, had wronged them. They had sinned against them. God's not the author of, of sin. So uh, you don't want to praise God for something that doesn't, you know, come from him, at least the, the sinful part of it. But Jesus hadn't changed. Right? Jesus wasn't any different when Lydia is getting saved and they're rejoicing in, in, in her baptism than when they're in jail right now. So our, our praise is about who God is. In other words, uh, I don't know exactly what they were saying, but you know, we know other, other places in the book of Acts that the, the, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer mistreatment for his name. The name that's above every name. Maybe they were praising the the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. Uh, Praising him that he's king of kings and lord of lords. Praising him that he's the son of God. Praising him that he died for their sins. Praising him that he rose from the dead. Praising him that he rules and reigns and he's victorious. Praising him that he identifies uh, with them in their suffering. That they're a part of the church. That they're advancing the the, the mission of God. That God is using them. I, I mean, the who instead of the what because the who doesn't change the what can always change but if our focus and our worship is based on the who our lives don't have to be governed by our circumstances second Groeschel says they were praising God before the provision not after the provision before the provision Now, if you're like me, sometimes God provides, he answers prayers, and don't bother to thank him afterwards. They were praising him before he ever came through. But God did provide. Uh, You know, God worked a miracle, got him released. Remember the Philippian uh, jailer and his household got saved. And and so, you know, the core group, so to speak, of this uh, church plant in Philippi became this Jewish lady, Lydia, in her household, this Roman soldier in his household, and a slave girl from wherever she was. God was working miracles in the midst of their difficulties, but they chose to worship him in the midst of their difficulties. Next, we see here that prayer is to include asking God to meet our needs. And again, genuinely trusting Him and asking Him to take care of us is a tremendous antidote to our anxiety. You know, he says later in this chapter that God's going to meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. If we really believe that, What is there to be worried about? I mean, think about it. If we really believe that, what is there to be worried about? If we believe God's in control, if God loves us, if he's working all things together for our good, if he's taking care of us. You see, it's it's not so much the words that we mouth when we pray, it's what do we believe behind it. Because, you know, we can pray about something and be worried about it again 37 seconds later, right? But what do we believe? Um, George Mueller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of faith is the end of anxiety. You see, faith and anxiety work in inverse proportion to one another. I mean, think about a seesaw. It's just a, a simple analogy of it. When our anxiety's high, it means our trust is low. 
When our trust is high, our anxiety is going to be low. Listen to what Christian psychologist Gary Collins says about this. He says, anxiety as fret and worry comes when we turn from God, shift the burdens of life onto ourselves, and assume, at least by our attitudes and actions, that we alone are responsible for handling problems. Is he reading our mail? Instead of acknowledging God's sovereignty and power or seeking his kingdom and righteousness first, many of us slip into sinful self-reliance and preoccupation with our own life pressures. Listen, we can be saved, we can be praying, but if we're relying on ourselves, we're trusting in ourselves, how is it not going to lead to anxiety? Because if we're honest, all of us know that we're not sufficient for these things. But do we really believe the Lord Jesus is sufficient? And can we rest in that? That's the basis that he wants us to pray on. Then last about prayer, prayer is also to include thanksgiving. I mean, that's what the, 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 the text says there. And how would that contribute to peace? Well, let me challenge you to do something this week. Take five minutes and thank God for your blessings and see if your anxiety level doesn't go down. I mean, if it doesn't, call me this week and we can talk about it and I'll give you your money back today for today or something like that. But just try it. Um, there's something about thanksgiving. There's something about rehearsing the goodness of God. There, there's something about remembering what God has done for us uh, that just uh, builds our faith and it increases peace because the reality is the best predictor of God's future faithfulness is God's faithfulness in the past. Um, I, I mean, I still struggle with anxiety sometimes, but I do it a lot less than when I was younger. You know, when I was first really started walking with the Lord, I was up and down all over the place, you know, be all excited because God's done this and then something doesn't go right and it's like, you know, you just kind of, uh, fall off the map, you know, where, like, where's God, all these kind of things. But I have seen God be faithful for so many years now. I've seen him come through so many times. I've experienced his peace and his presence. And, and, and so I'm not as up and down as much anymore as I used to be. But when I remember that, when I thank him, when I praise him, it changes me on the inside. When I lose sight of that, I can slip back into that anxiety. So, we overcome anxiety and experience peace by praying biblically. And so, you know, I think most of you pray, but what I'm saying is incorporate these different things into our prayer. Confession and repentance, worship, thanksgiving, asking with faith as the foundation of it. Now, let's move along uh, to the next verse and, and the next command, which is that we experience the peace of God by thinking carefully. Look at what he says in, in verse 8. He says, finally, brethren. Here's another finally from Paul. He's getting there. He's got about 12, 13 more verses to go, but he's getting close now. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are, are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, let, let's talk about meditation for a minute. Uh, you may think, eh, meditation, we're going to sit around and go, mm, or, you know, do some yoga or some Buddhist exercises or, or, or something like that. You may think this sounds a little airy-fairy for me. Well, uh, I think we're kind of missing the point of it if, if, if we do that. So let me explain a little bit. You know, in, in the Old Testament, there's a couple of different places where we're commanded to meditate and we're taught that really God's prescription, so to speak, to live a successful life, at least on his terms, is to meditate on and obey the Word of God. Uh, Psalm 1-2 speaks of the man who ends up having a fruitful life. says he delights in the law of the Lord and his law. He meditates day and night. Joshua 1-8 says, uh, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, uh, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. 
Uh, I mean, maybe to take it a step further, Isaiah 26, 3. And this was the verse that sustained me when we spent the first three weeks of Molly's life in, 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 in the hospital. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you or stayed on you uh, because he trusts in you. There's a connection between how we think and experiencing the peace of God. There's a connection between what we meditate on, where our mind is, and what our life is. You see, everybody meditates. It's just a question of what we meditate on. Really, to meditate is to focus the mind. It's, it's to think on things. Um, you know, we may, our minds aren't just blank, right? I know, ladies, sometimes you think your husband's mind is blank, but usually there's something going on up there. Um, we, we, there's a mental loop that's playing, right? There's things that we're inputting. And what we input, we think on, and the input then determines the output, which at some point then determines the outcome of our lives. You know, we can meditate on good things. We can meditate on bad things. We can be filling our mind, you know, with, with, with truth, uh, with goodness, with God's Word, with the, with the things that it talks about in this verse. We can be filling our minds with junk. We can meditate on the Word of God, or we can meditate on Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram, or TikTok, or our favorite show on Netflix, or whatever else in the world. Um, this, this is what meditation literally is, okay? Uh, I hope this doesn't gross anybody out too badly. But um, you ever heard the phrase, a, a cow chews its cud? In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, that's the literal word picture of meditation, when we meditate on something, we're like a cow chewing its cud. I mean, and, and what a cow does when it chews its cud in layman's terms is it is it like, you know, chews on it a little bit, gets some saliva, and then it regurgitates it and chews on it some more. It's like throwing up in your mouth and then... <laughs> and the idea of the phrase is it means to mull over it, to go over it, to think through it, to focus on it, to keep chewing on it in your mind. It's kind of like, you know, we, we can read the Bible, we can skim through something just to say, hey, I did my daily Bible reading today, or we can really think about it. What, what does this mean? What's God saying to me? How does this apply uh, to my life? That's what it means to, to, to meditate, to chew the cud, to, to focus on, to, to turn it around and around in, in, in our minds. And the, the reason that this is so important is William Blake, an old author, said something that's very true. It's biblical. We become what we behold. We become what we behold, what we focus on, where our eyes are set, where our minds are set. That's what we become. And, and so, you know, you watch pornography. Your mind's going to be filled with lust. It leads to sexual sin. Some of you spend so much time on social media, or on the news, whichever side of the aisle uh, that, that, that you're on, that you're consumed with worry and fear and anxiety because all you hear is negativity, and you think the answers are in your political party, and you've lost sight of the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it's eating you to death on the inside. I could go on and on and on in every area of life. Listen, there's tons of stuff to be anxious about. You've got crazy kids. You've got adult kids that may not be living the way uh, that, that you want them to live. You've got bills to pay. And there's all the stuff that's going on in the world. But again, is our focus on our problems or is our focus on the Lord Jesus and his goodness, his sovereignty? Do we believe he's in control? Do we believe that we're in him and he's in us and he's working on our behalf and he cares for us? What are we thinking about? Now, maybe this will help you. Um, it just kind of lead because what I, I want to try to be real practical. Okay, I, I want to kind of spend the rest of our time 
talking about, okay, why are thoughts so important, and how do we change the way that we think? And so, so let me use myself as an example, okay? Um, so I'm not a real anxious person, less than I used to be, but sometimes I struggle with anxiety like anybody else. Let me give you a recent example, but let me give you a little backstory, okay? So, um, you know, we're about 18 months into COVID now, and, you know, when it, when it hit last March, I mean, I, I think COVID's been difficult for everybody, right? Everybody's sick of it? Um, now, try leading something during COVID, those of you who do that, you own a business, whatever, especially that involves people, it's challenging, right? Uh, I mean, so you take a church, you know, if everybody showed up at the same time, we got 550, 600 people at True Life, we're working with multiple uh, church plants, these kind of things, so, you know, in some sense, at least indirectly, we're ministering to thousands of people. I've got that on my mind. You know, when it, when it first happens, I mean, I think we did some things right. I think I made some mistakes. You know, one of the things we did right, we cast vision, and, and God's fulfilled that. But honestly, I got a little panicky. And uh, that's without even knowing it's going to last 18 months. I mean, I didn't think it would last 18 weeks. Somebody told me it's going to last 18 months and ongoing. I'd have been like at a corner sucking my thumb somewhere, I think. Um. You know, I apologize that I did not take the preparing for a pandemic class in seminary. I should not have missed out on that one. But, um, you know, I remember having conversations with the staff, like, we need to do this, this, and this. You know, we need to work hard uh, so we can get through this. And hopefully, you know, we're not going to, nobody's going to miss a paycheck or anything like that. And, um, you know, I say all that to, to, to say, you know, I was anxious at first, but then, you know, God worked in me. But, you know... In spite of my anxiety, God has been so good to us as a church through this. Nobody's missed any paychecks. In fact, our, in fact, our giving, giving has grown exponentially uh, during this time. Uh, what we're doing in, in missions, I mean, God is blessing. He's opened new doors. We're doing new things. Uh, the things we're already doing, growing, I expanding. I mean, Pastor Phil and I talked to Pastor Elias from the Micronesian Church, and they did this special thing last Sunday. It had 250 people at it, which is nuts. Uh, I mean, God's doing great things. I mean, seeing people call down into ministry. You know, last year was the worst year we ever had as far as baptisms. This year is, is one of the best, you know, able to pay off our building debt. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, there's problems. There's people losing their minds, people going by the wayside, which breaks my heart. But again, we're going to focus on the good things God's doing. We're going to focus on the problems. There, there's a lot of blessings. I mean, this summer, you know, we got into the place uh, where, I mean, we were just kind of rolling. We were, our, our attendance in person, even the people haven't come back, you know, was higher than it was uh, pre-COVID. Last Sunday in, in July, I think we had one of the best days we ever had as a church. It was like one of the highest non-Easter attendances we'd ever had. We'd baptize people. There's just this tremendous spirit of worship. And then the last COVID spike hit. And it got bad around here again. And it was worse for us as a church then. I probably had more people get sick. We definitely, we hadn't had anybody in the hospital until this fall from COVID. We had some people in the hospital. We could never find any evidence of any spread from any church service or any event. But there was one youth event where there was, somebody was there, didn't know they were sick. And we had, you know, almost everybody at the event got sick from it. I mean, you know, we had some problems, some issues, challenges. There, there's all these kind of things. And, and, you know, I was at the place where I was so excited about what God was doing. But instead of just continuing to trust him, like when this hit again, I mean, it, it really hit me. And, you know, I'm like questioning. I'm like, why? And, you know, all these things. And so it started in my thinking. But this is particularly how my anxiety manifested itself, okay? So a lot of you know, not everybody knows. So I'll tell you a little bit about her in case you don't know her. If, if, if you know her, I don't have to tell you this, okay? Her children's minister, Leanne Phillips, who... Has maybe been the church MVP during all this because as a children's minister, probably more of this falls on her in a lot of ways than everybody else. If you know Leanne, even beyond what she does as a children's minister, a lot of you experienced her caring for you, you ministering to her. She's just one of the kindest, sweetest, most servant-hearted people that you would ever meet. But here's how my anxiety manifested itself uh, a few weeks ago during all this. If I saw... Um, Leanne's name pop up on my phone, 
or she, we were at the office and she asked to talk to me, I started getting kind of jittery. My heart rate went up. Uh, I mean, I just got anxious because my, what was in my mind was, what's wrong now? Who's sick? What do we got to scramble? What do we got to cover? Has there been, you know, is this spread somehow? Uh, have we made a bad decision? Uh, is there, what decision are we going to have to make now? And so what was in my mind manifested itself in my body in experiencing anxiety from seeing the name of one of my favorite people, Shane and Leanne, some of our best friends at True Life. Like I said, one of the sweetest, kindest, most servant-hearted people you would ever meet. It wasn't about her. It really even ultimately wasn't about the circumstance because I hadn't been that way through most of this. It was about what was in my brain. Why is that the case? And how... Can we change our thinking? What do we need to do? What did I have to do then? What do I need to do on a regular basis? What do you need to do on a regular basis so we can think differently, so we can live differently? Because verse 9, you know, Paul says, the things you've heard and received from me, the things you've seen in me, these do, how we think leads to how we act. But in particular, since we're talking about anxiety, how can we change our thinking to experience the peace of God instead of being controlled by anxiety in our lives. So let's answer the why question, then we'll answer the how question, and that, that's how we're going to end this morning. So why is how we think so important? First, our thoughts control our lives. Our thoughts control our lives. The Bible says at the beginning of Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As he thinks in his heart, so he is. Now, let me give you some quotes that go along with this. All of them except one are in the notes, one added in last minute. But Gary Collins, Christian psychologist again, has said this. He said, it doubtless is true that people become what they think about. Craig Rochelle, from this book again, three quotes. He says, your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. He's right. He says, the battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. And he says, your thoughts will control you, so you have to control your thoughts. Karen Newhoff, it says, this is the one that's not in the notes. He says, what you think determines what you do. If your thinking is broken, your doing will be also. Now, listen, th this is challenging, but I think it's also encouraging because some of you are like, I don't know how I got to ever change, change the way I feel. Some of you are like, man, my life is so broken. Uh, I don't think my life could ever change. Listen, if you change your thinking, your life will change. It's a root fruit issue. Stop worrying about the fruit, get to the root, and the fruit will take care of itself. Neil Anderson says, some of you ought to memorize this quote, if what we think does not reflect reality, then what we feel will not reflect reality either. Some of you just like, like you don't even understand the way you feel. Again, if it's not hormonal, not physiological, Get to how you think. Get to how you think. Again, we looked at this last week, but let's review, Lori, Dr. Arwood's truth tree. You know, we have an environment. It's affecting us. But the actual root is what we believe. And we're going to get to this in a second. Are we believing truth or lies? What we believe then manifests itself in the way that we think, which is like the, the, the trunk of the tree. But then... The outcome of it is going to be in how we feel and what we do. But again, that's just the fruit. The root is what we believe, how we think. And if we change what we believe and if we change how we think, we can change what we do and how we feel. Second, knowing then the truth and beyond just knowing it, believing it, acting on it is the key to us experiencing the freedom we were saved for. 
Jesus said in John chapter 8, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, say, so why does this work this way? Well, let me give you an illustration that uh, Craig Rochelle gives in, his, in this book, okay? So, imagine there's a dog, he calls him Max, who's like a big dog, outdoor pet, He's in, 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 in the yard, and he likes to chase cars and chase cats and chase kids. And some of the neighbors start complaining about uh, Max uh, chasing their kids. And so they decide to put up an electric fence around the yard. Okay? Now, I, I know some of you think your pet would be capable of this. But the reality is, this family cannot sit down with Max and have a reasoned conversation with him and explain what they have done, right? So, Max is outside one day, just being Max. He sees a car going down the street. He wants to chase the car and try to grab its bumper. He runs out to do it, and zap, he runs into the electric fence. It's like, this is strange. I don't know what's going on. He retreats. But then... There's some kids playing out in the road. They're playing ball. The ball rolls to the sidewalk uh, near their house. And Max being Max, Max being a dog, thinks, hey, it would be fun if I could grab the ball and run with the kids. So he runs to, to get the ball and zap. Runs into the electric fence again. And then later that day, Max uh, sees a, 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 a cat walking down the sidewalk. And he is rightly offended that this cat would be so bold and brazen to walk near him. And he, wanting to exercise his domain as a canine in the animal kingdom, wants to take care of this cat and show that cat uh, what that cat needs. And so he runs out to take care of the cat and teach the cat a lesson and then zap. Hits the electric fence again. Well, he's kind of getting the message. And so he's like, can't do this anymore. I don't know what these crazy people have done, but I'm now stuck in the prison of this yard. I don't want to keep getting hurt, so I'm not going to keep running. I'm not going to run out there anymore. Well, some of the neighbor kids, though, as they're playing ball and trying to chase their ball and this kind of thing, they start running into the electric fence and they get zapped. And so they start complaining. And so the family decides to remove the electric fence. But again, they can't explain this to, to Max. So a few days later, uh, we're, we're after they've taken out the fence, Max sees the car. Uh, he wants to chase the car. But he doesn't chase the car because he believes if he tries to, he's going to get zapped. The kid's playing ball again. Ball comes near. He wants to go get the ball and run from the kids, but he doesn't because he believes if he does, he's going to get zapped again. Of course, it's not true anymore, but he believes it's true. Sees the cat. You know, the cat's walking down the road, and he wants to go uh, take care of the cat, but he's not going to move because he believes if he does, he's going to get zapped again. And so now Max is in the prison of his yard because he's believing a lie. And it's confined him and keeping him from being who he was created to be. And a lot of us are in exactly the same place. We're in a prison of our own mind, confined to our thought loops, not being who God has really created us to be because we're believing lies. And if we believe a lie... It'll ruin our lives. You see, Satan is a liar and a deceiver. That's all he has to work with. And if he has you believing lies, he can keep you captive to that. Rick Warren has put it this way, and I think this fits perfectly with Lori's truth tree. He says all behavior is based on a belief. That's what the New Testament teaches. So behind every sinful behavior 
There's a lie that I believe. Therefore, change always starts in the mind. Listen, you, you may think that there's something you may be doing that you hate. And, and you're stuck in it, and you don't want to be this way anymore, but you have no idea how you can change, how you can stop doing it. You feel powerless. Listen, again, stop focusing on the behavior. Stop focusing on the fruit and get to the root. Change the way that you think. Get in the Word of God and, and, and trade lies for truth, and you can't help but change. The key to changing our feelings and behavior is changing our beliefs and, uh, and, and thinking by replacing lies with truth. Here's a piece of homework that I would recommend for you to do to apply this. I would encourage you to get with God and prayerfully get honest with yourself. And... You know, I try to be honest, you know, by the time I struggle with anxiety recently. But where are you struggling with anxiety? Where are you struggling in your thoughts? If you'll be honest and identify and write down the lies and then go to Scripture and find the truth to replace the lie with and meditate on that truth until it sinks in your mind, and then see the outward change. If you're like, that's too much, or I don't know what it is, make an appointment with Lori. Talk to a Christian friend that you know. It's like, okay, here's the lie. I don't know what the truth is. I don't know enough about the Bible yet. Call me, text me, talk to somebody you know. But you see, the Bible teaches us, Romans 12, 2, that changing our thinking is the key to changing our lives. Look, look at what it says. Uh, read it for yourself on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Do not be conformed, which means squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed. Literally, experience a metamorphosis through the renewing of your mind. Uh, to renew here means to renovate. And like if you've ever done a renovation at your house, what do you got to do? You got to tear out the, uh, the old, you got to tear out the junk, and you got to replace it then with the new. So how then do we do that? Well, let me suggest four things to you and, and we'll be done, okay? How do we change the way that we think? First, we change the way that we think by freeing our minds from destructive thoughts. By freeing our minds from destructive thoughts. Listen to what the Bible says. Look at it. 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. A stronghold was, was, was a fortress Listen, we have mental fortresses, strongholds. Satan wants to get those set up in our minds. But he says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. By the power of Jesus, we have to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ or our thoughts will end up taking us captive. Remember this. You don't have to think what you're thinking. You don't have to believe what you're thinking. We all think crazy thoughts sometimes. But sometimes this stuff goes on in our head that doesn't even make any sense, to, even to us. But we can just say, that's not true. Satan may tell you that you are something. You can say, that's not true. This is who God says I am. He can tell you something about your life. You can say, no, that's not true. This is what God says about it. We don't have to think what we're thinking. We don't have to believe what we're thinking. We don't have to do what we're thinking. You can think something, but you can make a choice not to act on it. And listen, we don't have to say what we're thinking, whether verbally or in writing. You don't have to post stuff on social media. The Bible says a fool vents all of, of his feelings. See, th this is how it works. We have a thought. It leads to an action. An action becomes a habit. And that habit sets up a stronghold in our lives. That's a spiritual way of saying it. Maybe a psychological way of saying it. Addiction. 
And you see, let me come at it from a different angle. This is the biblical approach, but let's think about science for a minute. And science and the Bible say the same thing in different ways on this. You see, this thought, action, habit, stronghold thing, the reason it works the way that it does is because of something called neural pathways. In our brain, every thought produces a neurochemical change. As the brain directs the parts of our body through neurons, Neurons link together to create messages. The same message sent multiple times creates a neural pathway which makes it easier to keep thinking or doing things, and we end up in a rut. Pornography is a simple example. Young person, let's say a teenage boy, sees um, an advertisement for lingerie online. Gets a dopamine hit. Looks again. Gets another dopamine hit. And he's like, I like this. And he starts thinking about it. He creates a neural pathway. But then he wants more because there's always the law of diminishing returns. So he looks at something more explicit. Maybe it goes to looking at, at somebody who's naked. And then it maybe it goes to actually looking at people having sex. And it creates this neural pathway of, of wanting, of you get this dopamine hit and, and these neurons are firing together. So it makes it harder and harder uh, to say no. But at the same time, again, there's a law of diminishing returns. So you get less and less out of it. So you go farther and farther looking for something uh, more and more out there. And you end up addicted, and you end up in bondage, but you're in, a bond, in bondage to the prisoner of your mind. But God can and will set you through, through, through the power of Jesus Christ, through getting help, through reaching out to others, through renewing your thinking through the truth of the Word of God. But we have to free our minds from these destructive thoughts. But the key to that, then, is ultimately, I think, we have to feed our minds with truth. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, when he's being tempted by the devil, said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have to not just identify the lies, we have to replace it with truth. What are we meditating on? And so, you know, God wants us to be in his word, to read his word, to study his word, to meditate on it, to listen to it. And the word of God, as it shapes our thinking changes us from the inside out. Now you may say, oh, I don't know, that, that sounds kind of boring. You know, I'd rather watch Netflix. I'd rather Snapchat some people, check out some TikTok videos, that kind of thing. And, you know, if that's what you want to do, it's your life, it's your choice. I'm not here to, like, tell you what to do, tell you how to live your life. But here's the only thing I would say. You can make that choice, but every time we make a choice, we choose the consequence. And I'm telling you, if your life is not where it needs to be, trace it back to the root. The root is your thinking. And if you want to change what's going on in your life, change your experience, if you want to have peace instead of anxiety, if you want to live a life uh, that, that honors God, you're going to have to discipline yourself to take these thoughts captive, to discipline yourself, to feed yourself uh, with truth. We get out of stuff what we put into it, remember? Uh, you know, there, there's input, there's outgo, there's outcome. It's an unbroken chain. Are you willing to do what it takes to experience something different? And then third... If we're going to renew our minds, we're going to think differently. It comes from focusing our minds on the right things. If we go back to Philippians 4.8, look at this list that he gives us. He says we're to think on things that are true, which means things that are genuine, things that are real, things that are noble, which means honorable, morally attractive, things that are just, which is things that are righteous, uh, things that are pure, which means things that are wholesome, Things that are, are, are lovely, which means things that are admirable. Things that are of a good report, which means they're of good repute. Things that are of virtue, that have moral excellence. Things that are praiseworthy, which is something that deserves to be uh, commended. So we can have those thought patterns, or we can have the flip side. We can think on things that are lies, that are fake, that are false. We can think on things that are immoral, dishonorable, unrighteous, impure, deplorable, unpleasant, distasteful, disreputable, uh, or something that deserves correction. Depending on which way we're thinking, 
that's the direction our life's going to go in. Free our minds from destructive thoughts. Feed our minds with truth. Focus on good things. But then, last thing, fix our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this may be the ultimate key because, again, it's not change ourselves. It's let Jesus change us. But how does this work? Let me just give you a couple of scriptures here. They're not really in context, but I think they speak for themselves. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Listen, when we look to Jesus and see who he really is, and see what he has done for us, it transforms us. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore we also, being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily besets us, uh, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And when it says looking unto Jesus, it literally means staring at him. It means to fix our eyes upon him as a runner in an ancient race would fix his eyes on, on the judge at the finish line. And this is what he's saying. We can look... We can look inwardly, and we can look at ourselves, or we can look at everything that's going on around us, and how screwed up and messed up things are, or we can look up, and we can look to Jesus and see that he loves us so much that he left heaven, and he came to earth, and he died for us, and our life is in his hands. Listen, however messed up we may be, if we're in Christ, we're accepted by the Father, and we don't have to earn his love, and we don't have to perform to get things uh, from God. Listen, in Christ, I mean, I mean, the reality is I'm more sinful than I ever want to admit but in Christ I'm more loved and more accepted than I can ever even believe. When I look to him, he changes me uh, from the inside out. Uh, when I see that Jesus defeated death, I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear the future. Uh, there's nothing wrong with me that a good resurrection won't fix, uh, as D.A. Carson said. Listen, when I look at the problems in the world around me, if I believe Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, I can trust that he is in control control and that he's working all things together for good. History is his story. He has a plan for my life that he's going to bring to consummation. Listen, when I put my eyes on myself, I'm going to see all my faults and failures and shortcomings and insufficiencies. But when I look to him and see his ability and his sufficiency and his goodness, he changes me from the inside out and he renews my mind. And listen, this is the gospel. This is what saves us, but it's also how we live the Christian life by continually repenting of sin, looking to Jesus, getting in his word, being reminded of who he is, being reminded of what he has done for us, and not trying to change ourselves. Again, it, that's the fruit issue. The root is Christ in us. Jesus loves us. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the dead. You can trust him, and if you trust him and look to him and abide in him and fix your eyes on him and let his truth renew your word and you believe truth instead of lies. He changes the way we think. And as we, our thinking is changed, our lives are changed and we experience what God has for us and we're able to be a blessing to other people. But it's all about the mind. So if, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me.